are in the Old Testament tonight. And one of those books in the Bible that um, we seldom read, we don't hear a lot of messages from. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses in the book of Haggai. It's an interesting um, account of a prophet who lived in a time where there was a lot of uh, heartache. And their people were discouraged. And people were not following God. Who were his people. God's people. Uh, what's interesting as you go through the book though. So often the prophets had just such a story of, of suffering and rejection. And it's a tough job man when you look at the prophets. But Haggai was one of those guys. Who saw who saw God's people in a place of apathy where they were not loving and serving God. But by the time you go through the account, you see that God brought revival. And, and this is kind of an appropriate book to look at on a Sunday night when you know what you have are the, the, the faithful remnant who come to church because it is actually a message given that's not evangelistic as much as it's a message to the church. And so let's look, Haggai, those first 11 verses, chapter 1. I encourage you to stand when you find it. Um, it says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but have harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. Let's pray. Father, Hearts don't change, although years pass. Generations continue, Lord, at the heart of people. It's basically the same. We are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. It is not unusual to find ourselves in a place we never intended to be. As at one time there was joy, and there was excitement, and there was a hunger for you, and now suddenly we find ourselves lethargic. We find ourselves uh, feeling defeated. 
and broken. That was never your intention, Lord, because you are victorious and you want us to know that we too can live in the victory you've won. I love that quote by Warren Wiersbe that says, we do not fight for victory, but from victory. Thank you for being the God who's won the battle and we just need to march behind you, Lord. Uh, I pray tonight as we look at your word, as we look at these uh, signs of apathy, uh, just speak to our hearts, uh, Father, where we might find ourselves and may we turn to you however you speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. Um, Haggai is one of the shorter books in the Bible, and then he's referred to as one of the minor prophets, one of these guys that we don't spend a lot of time um, often in messages and in churches, and thus we don't know a lot about him. Um, he's one of the prophets of what is known as the Restoration. The other two being Zechariah and Malachi. And the reason that they are known as the prophets of the restoration is because what happened in 586 B.C. Babylon came and conquered God's people and burned Jerusalem to the ground, destroyed the temple. And they were forced to leave their home. They were forced into exile, forced into slavery. And they were there for 70 years. And when they returned... They found a, a broken place. And as a result of that, there was apathy. And, and that's, a, as we want to uh, look at that tonight, we want to look at three signs here, three evidences from this text of Scripture that uh, shows us uh, when apathy uh, may be present. The first sign here I want to look at is God's work was being neglected. Notice in verse 2, he says, These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. It says, Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? They came back. They were discouraged. They were depressed. And as, as they looked around, they didn't have the energy to go forward. And, and so they just neglected the work. They were focusing on themselves and they were missing sight of what they needed more than anything else and that was to be restored in the Lord. That was to remember who they were in God. That was to remember the blessings and the strength that they had. That They needed to come back together and they needed to focus up to Him and out to one another and come together to find, to find encouragement and to find life and to find strength. Uh, listen to the first couple of verses of Psalm 137. This is how they felt. Psalm 137, 1 through 4. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. <laughs> for there our captors asked for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Their focus was so much on their circumstances and their condition that they had forgot their God. God was still there. God was still on the throne. Um, in your notes, it tells us that God called them and He calls us to build up the church by reaching people with the gospel. They said, sing us those songs. They had 
opportunity to sing. Not because of their circumstances, but because of a faith and a confidence in a God who knew where they were and who loved them too much to neglect and forget them. They had that chance to sing. They had that chance to reach out to them. They had a chance to share a word of testimony that's just beyond what's at the moment. That there's a hope there that comes from God. They had a chance to share that individually with those who came and asked them to sing a song, to reach out to them. Or maybe they had an opportunity to talk to a group of them and to be able to share, you know, this is what we believe. This is what these songs are about. It's about a God who loved us so much that He He chose us and He set us apart and He's got a plan. And this life is not just chaos, but there's a purpose because of our God. They had that opportunity, they had that chance to build up the church and to share that message and 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 to go forward and, and, and reaching out to people outside the body of God. But they also... This also refers to the fact that they had an opportunity, there was a neglect, they needed to attend to their own personal lives. And God has called each one of us as Christians to engage in an ongoing spiritual building work in our own personal lives. You see, they, he said, my temple's in ruins, and, and to go and, and don't neglect that, and, and to build up this place where we gather to worship a holy God. It's his house, it's his building, it's his sanctuary, it's a place that's set apart. But also, for each believer, as the Scriptures reveal, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to a couple of verses in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? Then you go over a couple of chapters. Chapter 6. Verse 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? We have a responsibility not to neglect our own walk with God. It is really easy to look around us and to say, Well, this is why everything is messed up. Instead of looking and saying, God, where am I messed up? Where, where, where do I need to turn in order to walk closer with you? Father, change, change my heart. Change my perspective, God, and get a hold of, of my life, Lord. Um, the temple was a place of sacrifice. Of course, I can't help but think of Romans 12, 1, where it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. And so we are personally called to be sacrifices. And you don't know who said it, but there's that old saying, the problem of the living sacrifice, it's always trying to crawl off the altar. <laughs> and, and that's where we are. But that's the call. We need to look at ourselves and say, okay, God, everything is yours. All that I have is yours. And Father, you even say that I belong to you, that I am not my own. I was bought with a price. That's what the gospel is about. Jesus actually purchased us when he paid the price for our sins. And, and because of that, we're called to sacrifice. The temple was a place of sacrifice, and we are to be a sacrifice for a holy God. Secondly, at the temple, it was known as a place to serve. It was a place to serve God, a place to honor him with our lives through a life of service. I thought of Mark 10, verse 45, where it tells us, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. God called them to to build up that temple, that place where they met, but he also called them to build up their own lives for his glory, that there shouldn't be neglect, a sign of spiritual apathy. And with God's house, uh, you know, we should care about what God's house looks like. We should care about this place that we gather, and, and, and it's painting, we should paint it. When there's, uh, you know, the grounds around it, we should plant flowers, and, and we should work on all of that because it is a sacred place set apart for God. But we're sacred too. We belong to God. And, and we should not neglect our own spiritual health, and our own spiritual strength. Um, secondly, another sign of spiritual apathy. God's people were content. They were content with how things were. The city had been burned to the ground. The temple had been, you know, it, it was set in destruction. It was, it was in a bad state. And they would come, and they would come into the temple, and, and they would do the, uh, um, what was required in the temple. And meanwhile, they just missed growing content with what the place looked like. They just began to accept it. They just begin to say, you know, well, you know, and, and they didn't even notice it. As a matter of fact, historically, you look at it, uh, we find out that this went on for 14 years. They came into a place that needed to be rebuilt. They came into a place that, where, where they needed to, to gather together for the work of the Lord. And they just were in that place of apathy. You know, 14 years of coming to the same place and the status quo, and we're just rocking along. Just happy where we are. And yet God calls us. I think that there should always be a little bit of a holy discontent. God, we want to be closer to you. We want to be closer to you in our walk. We want to be closer to you in the way we serve you. God, we want to be closer to you uh, as a people. Um, and, and God, not, not just be happy where we are. Um, people need the Lord. And it's easy to just lose a burden for them because we get discouraged when we pray for them and we try to talk to them and we try to reach out to them and they don't respond and 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 then before long we just take it for granted well hadn't been seeing anybody trust god and i guess that's just the way it is and yet that's not god's heart um, that's he wants to do things and he, he, you know, he begins that first part so important in that we have to build ourselves up. I guess we have to be ready for him to do something um, as he as he works. And so there was this discontentment that that's not ha- happy there, and that discontentment can go on too as far as not coming together. One sign that we're starting to lose our strength in the Lord is we don't want to come together. On a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever the time is, we don't want to be together with God's people. Or we don't find time to pray. As Oswald Chambers said, prayer doesn't prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. There is a power in prayer that can't be completely measured because we're talking about a God that we can't understand fully, that we believe in and that we trust. And neglect sets in in prayer. It is doubtful 
that God does anything except in response to prevailing prayer. People who really come before him and pray and work. And, and that's, you know, proved out where you see a great work of God. You find someone in the background that was praying. Someone in the background who had a burden and spent time on their knees or with their hearts bowed before living God. And then, of course, just, you know, this book um, in the Scriptures. The, the Bible needs to be opened. The Bible needs to be studied. And the Bible needs to be read. And we need to let God's Spirit work through His Word to speak to us. People say the time's not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And, and then he goes on. And he says in verse 5, Give careful thought to your ways. You planted much, you harvested a little. You eat, but never have enough. He says, what's going on here? There is a, a sense of there's more. There's something wrong. And, and he says, don't, don't be content. Don't just stay in, in this situation. But we, we need to grow to, to be content in the Lord, but that there be a holy discontent where we are, but that we draw close to him. A bishop of the early church uh, had this way of always having a confident faith that uh, people were always mesmerized by, and they asked him his secret, and here's what he said. It consists in nothing more than making a right use of my eyes. In whatever state I am, I first of all look up to heaven, and remember my principal business here is to get there. Then I look down upon the earth and call to mind how small a place I shall occupy in it when I die and I'm buried. I then look around the world and observe what multitudes there are who are in many respects more unhappy than myself. Thus I learn where true happiness is placed, where all our cares must end, and what little reason I have to complain. Having that right view. And then the very uh, last sign of spiritual apathy. God's people were making excuses. Let's look at the scripture here. Uh, verse 2, these people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. So why hasn't it come for the Lord's house to be built? Well, this is what the people were saying. It's not that we don't want to do the work. No, we have every intention of rebuilding the temple, but just not yet. You know, that wonderful procrastination. I'm going to do it someday, just not yet. It's just not the right time. Um, one of the reasons for this is because they were in the middle of a harvest. Uh, you look at verse 9, he says, or verse 10, he says, Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains. This was the time of the grape harvest. This is the time where they, they were busy getting ready for that grape harvest. And they could have said, you know, just got too much work to do at the moment. We'll get to it later. You know, this is the point now. I have to, I have to work on this harvest at, at the point here. I don't have time for the Lord at this moment. So, so you know, just wait a while and then, then we'll do what we need to do. But not yet. Not now. Or it could be a fear of relationships because once they started to put that emphasis on the Lord, there were the Samaritans who also lived close by. and The Samaritans were the ones who married outside of the Jewish belief system. 
And so, therefore, you had people who were considered like half-breeds, and there was this bad blood because you had people who were not totally following the Lord. And, and, and so people would fight and they would argue. Maybe they were saying, you know, if we go and, and get all religious and we start talking about the Lord and focusing our hearts on the Lord, we're going to make those people mad. And it's, it's not, ugh, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that difficult time of, of, of people who just don't like me and I don't like them and stirring up the pot with all that. And then the third thing here is it was a bad time of harvest. There was this uh, not many crops that were being produced, uh, not many cattle. As the time that came of this apathy is they were not turning their hearts to the Lord. And so the excuse could have been, we just don't have the money. We just don't have the money right now to do this work. We've got to wait until we, the money starts coming in. That'll be a sign God's ready for the work to come. When you know we get a little bit more money and, and things are just more financially stable so that we can move ahead and so that we can do what God wants us to do. And you know, as I look at these excuses, it's just so much like we are today, isn't it? Or maybe one final reason here. Um, there was a prophecy... Um, through here that was spoken that said after 70 years um, after 70 years God will restore his people and restore Jerusalem and technically uh, you know from a very uh, literal uh, stance it hadn't yet been 70 years and so they could have said well we've got to wait till that time exactly passes and, and so that God will fulfill his Word, we're just going to wait till that exact time, and then we'll jump in there, and then we'll we'll do the work. But you know, we're going. You know, and sometimes we get pious, and instead of doing what God wants us to do, we act like it's all religious. Like, you know, we we got to do this God's way. Like somehow our own practices and habits are more spiritual than what the scriptures have to say. Sometimes we fall into that. Um. So it was. Uh, According to God's own word of prophecy, those 70 years since the fall of Jerusalem that wasn't actually completed. And then um, you see something about excuses here. It says, A person who is in a state of spiritual apathy will always make excuses to try to cover their sinful neglect of the things of God and of the work of God. John Calvin wrote, Men are ingenious at making excuses to cover their delinquency. I think, actually quite often, you know, David said at the end of Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think it's necessary and it's important that every once in a while we do a self-check. We say, okay, Holy Spirit, Shine that light upon me. Show all that mess. Search me, I've got no heart. <laughs> Check out my thoughts. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there's a wicked way in me that's not pleasing to you. Lead me in the right way, Lord. Show me where I am so I may turn your direction, Lord. Take me out of this sense of apathy, Father. I don't want to. I don't want to neglect you, Father. I, I don't want to leave you out of my life, Lord. That 
I, I don't want to make excuses, uh, Father, of, of why I'm here. I, I don't want there to be a, a contentment that shouldn't be here, Lord. Uh, wake me up. And, and each of us are at different places in our walk. And, and um, he's trying to get through to us in different ways. And I don't know how he may be speaking to you where you are uh, this night. But I have a feeling, because of the way we all are, that there's something he wants to do in your life. And you've been saying, nope, not yet. And I'm not quite ready. I want to be content. Or, or there's some excuses that are there. God's saying, you know, stop it. You're preventing my blessing from flowing into your life. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we look at Haggai, Father, and the message that you gave to him, to your people, it's a message that I believe, Father, is very uh, contemporary, very relevant, because we're still that same way. Father, um, search me, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I pray that not just for me, but for each one here. God, um, we want to see you, and we want to know you, and we want your blessing, but we realize that for all of that to happen, Father, we've got to come clean before our God. And we've got to turn your way. And, Father, we it takes some effort, Lord. We have to be willing to step out of the comfort zone and serve you, sacrifice for you. So whatever all that means, draw us to you, Master. Show us. And as we have this time, we call invitation. Maybe it's to come to the altar to pray. Maybe it's to make a decision right where we are. Maybe it's to share something. I don't know. But, Father, we invite you to bring us to you, Lord. And, Father, that we may check out where we are and that you may give us a hunger to not stay there. In your name we pray.